Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. This is episode 16. I want to thank those of you who have already emailed me to express an interest in the upcoming ADHD parent coaching groups, and to invite those of you who are interested but haven't yet contacted me to shoot me an email at brendan at adhdessentials.com. I've got some great plans that I'm excited to start sharing with you in the coming weeks. I also want to apologize in advance for my voice in this episode. I've been battling a pretty intense cold that's done a number on my throat. Anyway, on with the show. My guest today is Gabriel Villarreal. He's a strength and conditioning coach and a mental health counselor who both specializes in and has ADHD. We talk about the value of getting your heart rate up, cheating versus outsourcing, the importance of play, and we wrap it all up with the neurological benefits of exercise for those with ADHD. All right, let's get rolling. Gabriel, you are sort of the complete package when it comes to ADHD expertise a little bit because you both work as a mental health clinician and you do the exercise side of ADHD. So let's talk about that. Let's look at how how you're sort of marrying the mental health side of ADHD with the physical health side of ADHD. Absolutely. So I guess, how did you get there? How did you get to the point where you're doing both? Uh, my very first semester of graduate school, I, I impulsively decided I was going to run a half marathon um, after <laughs> reading um, Dean Carnassus' book, The Ultra Marathon Man, uh, which is a great book. It's just a good book. And I was like, man, he's running ultra marathons, which are, you know, 300 plus miles. I was like, I should be able to at least run one. <laughs> and um, I had a, a colleague that was like, yeah, I'm going to run um, the Star City Half Marathon, which is a, mar- a half here in, in Roanoke, Virginia, where I live. And I was like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm doing that too. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, no. Um, so I trained for that my first semester of graduate school. I, I really think that that was my saving grace in graduate school. Graduate school is very intense and very hard and very rigorous. And um, what I found halfway through the semester was that my peers were kind of succumbing to the stress as you as they should have. Um, it's very hard. It's a new environment. And um, I, I wasn't. In that first semester, I, I probably saw all of my, everyone in my cohort cry <laughs> at some point. And, uh, and I was good. I was good to go. And I really attribute that to the routine and the structure that my training um, that I, I had to do, I had to be on a, I mean, if you're going to run 13 and a half miles, you need to, you need to have a training regime. Yeah. And so um, that coupled with just running every day really, really helped kind of keep me even keeled. And I was also dabbling and learning about nutrition and, and fueling myself appropriately. And at the end of that semester, when everyone, when the dust settled, I was like, you know, there's really something to this, this uh, me exercising, me eating well and my mental health and, um, and my ability to weather stress. And so after that first semester, I said, oh, well, in two years when I'm done with this degree, I need to go get a strength and conditioning certification and I need to start a gym and I need to marry the two. And that was just something that I knew needed to happen. 
And so when I finished my graduate degree, uh, during my first job, I worked in emergency services. And if, and if you're not familiar, emergency services can be very, very quiet for entire shifts where you're not doing anything. And then all of a sudden, um, you could get a call that you need to go to the hospital to do an assessment. And so that was the perfect job for me because it was nothing was going on and it was high stimulation. Mm -hmm. So that's good. And I have ADHD, if I didn't say that already. Um, so that was very, very helpful. But in those downtime uh, of, the, of my shifts, I just consumed all of the strength and conditioning books and podcasts and articles that I could. And that's where my strength and conditioning education started is right after graduate school. Wow. The long and short of that is I quit that job to do another job doing um, in-home work, which doesn't pay well. I was fortunate enough to go train and get my certification from two very well-known high-level coaches in May of 2014. And a couple months later, the work in my in-home job dried up. And so I was like, well, I got I to gotta pull the trigger on this strength and conditioning gym. Um, and through some happy, fortunate events, I was able to open my strength and conditioning gym and just start training and, and getting some expertise doing that. And it's only been recently that I've, that I've really married the two. Because I'm still a resident in counseling, I can't fully marry the two. Um, but what I have done is um, I've started separate from my practice, my ADHD practice, I have started what I call ADHD strengths and conditioning uh, exercise class for um, ADHD kids. Cool. And um, so your, your graduate degree is in mental health? Clinical mental health. There's a lot in there that I want to poke around in. Um, but let, let's start with the, the ADHD strengths and conditioning for kids program that you're working with, that you're running rather. Um, what does that look like? That came about because I had a, a mom who was also a, a counselor see me post in a couple um, like special needs Facebook groups. And she Facebook stalked me and messaged me and said, hey, let's get grab coffee um, and let's network and connect, which I love doing with, with my clinicians. And, and it came out that she was like, I saw you in a gym. I saw you are specialized in ADHD and are the only one that's doing this in our town. What do you think about combining the two? And I said, it's been on my mind. I just don't have a means to... Um, I don't have the means or the funds to market to really to moms to get these classes up and running. And she said, Oh, I'll find the moms for you. And I said, okay, I have two classes full of eight to 10 year olds. I had done my fair share of, of what I'd like to think is I've read everything there is to read on ADHD and exercise and the benefits of the two. And I can say that cause there's not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, I probably read like all four articles and spark. Yeah, and Spark, and that's pretty much it. I was confident that if we can, if I can get these kids to a certain threshold in their, in their heart rate, then we can really begin to, to get this benefit of exercise to their to their brains. So yeah, what is that threshold? So the heart rate threshold, um, and mind you, the research is, is only for boys and girls. There hasn't been any research really on adults. So for boys, it's a max heart rate, and for girls, it is a um, sub-max heart rate. So somewhere between 60 and 75% of their max heart rate. And how do we figure out what our max heart rate should be? So it's 220 minus your age. 220 minus your age. Okay. Yes. So if you have a 10 year old, it's that's 210. So you want, if you have a boy and they're 10 years old, you want them at a 210 max heart rate, um, which is really high. And um, for a 10 year old um, mm -hmm. is good. And then if it's a girl, then it's 60 to 70% of 210, uh, which you guys can do on your own. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm a counselor because I don't <laughs> I don't do math. Within the guise of that, right? Like, well, we want to get our the boys to to two ten, and we want to or 
to yeah to two ten, and we want to get our girls to what do you a say max 60% or sub max sixty percent of that. I want to see if I can do that math real quick. So two hundred sixty percent of that would be one hundred twenty ten. Sixty percent of that would be sixty. So we're looking at one hundred and twenty six. Nice. For how long do we want them to maintain that heart rate? There's not a whole lot of of data, I think. And and John Rady's book Spark is already almost what eight years old. And so the data there says um, somewhere around 20 to 30 minutes for me as a strength and conditioning coach, that's a really long time to maintain that. And yeah, kids can probably do that. So I wouldn't suggest, you know, even, you know, I work out six days a week. I would not be able to maintain that. That would be, that would be hard. That'd be rough. So to to extrapolate that for adults is, is not great, but even for kids, you know, as a coach, I'm like, man, that's, that's rough. That's really, really, really hard to maintain that. So what I try to do is if I can get them there and keep them in that area and, um, and I check in with all my parents in the classes and I'm, I'm getting signs and symptoms of, of what's good, what's bad, how is it helping, how is it not helping. The way that I've set up my classes, if they can hit that you know, just once, um, even if it's for a minute, then we're getting some benefit. Okay. And how are you measuring that? Are the kids all wearing heart rate monitors or? So we're not that fancy as far as heart rate monitors. Um, I just, I know what's, as, as a coach, I know what's going to just drive up their heart rates. So the way that I structure the class is um, the first thing that we do is a warm up, of course. Um, that's to get out all their, like their nervous energy so that they can move well because they've been sitting all day. And then I have them um, do some what's called general preparedness work. Um, which looks exactly like dragging a sled and pushing a prowler. And a sled sounds exactly what it, it sounds like, it, or it is what it sounds like. They're, they're strapped in to a sled and dragging weight. And then the prowler is um, kind of the, the opposite of that. It's a bigger sled, and they're just pushing it in front of them. And if you've never done that... I have. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah that's hard stuff. That, that's a workout. Yeah, you don't have to go very far, and, and your heart rate's just jacked depending on how many kids in the class, because sometimes they don't all come, they have other things after school. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're all there and that's six kids, then they go for 10 minutes and they just, they just rotate. So they get done with the prowler, then they get in line for the sled. They do the sled, then they get in line for the prowler. Um, so they're only resting maybe 30 seconds between each sled and each prowler push. So we do that. Um, and that really, the very first time, and I, and I need to increase the weight with all my boys, and um because because the very first day you can i could tell that they were all dialed in because their their eyes are dilated they're all looking me in the eye they're all huffing and puffing and they're all at attention and here mm-hmm. lately they're getting more conditioned so i need to increase the load um because it's not it's not doing as much okay so i have up up the load and actually one of the boys was like hey jump on the prowler and i'll push you and i was like you're not gonna be able to push me you're you're <laughs> eight and i weigh like 135 and I mean, sure enough, man, he moved me for like a good, probably 12 steps. And I was like, this is awesome. Good for him. Yeah, that's great. So after that, that GPP work, that general physical preparedness work, um, I have him do carries. And I have him do carries for a couple different reasons. One, because it's probably the safest thing that they can do at eight years old. And carries are things like, um, I mean, it's exactly what they, they sound like, but they're all odd object carries. So I'll have them carry... Um, dumbbells very light 10 pounds and i need to increase the weight on that and they're just holding them at their sides and they're just walking for 30 yards um and back or 30 feet and back one of the other carries they do is they carry a 10 to 15 pound slam ball and for an eight-year-old 
you know, for us, we can get our hands around that and, you know, our, our hands can overlap. But for an eight-year-old, they're holding the sides and that's, that's about all that they can grip. Right. That's going to jack up their heart rate because they're really having to keep stable, keep tension and walk at the same time. So I'm teaching them stability as well so that they can have some stability in their trunk. Um, And a lot of this stuff, they don't know they're doing, the parents don't know they're doing, but I know as a coach that they just need to be able to move, learn how to brace their spine, learn how to carry a load, learn how to do stuff so that when they are playing sports or they're roughhousing, they're not going to break. I have them do the slam ball carries, um, which is not heavy, but it's just awkward. And then I have them do a sandbag carry and the sandbag probably weighs 30 pounds. And I, I make them muscle it across their arms, which is called a zercher carry. So it's on their chest. So that's kind of restricting their airways. So they're really having to work to breathe and they're really having to, to press it into themselves so that they don't fall over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really taxing them there too. And if they want to get it on their shoulders, they can, but that's of course harder um, to muscle it up there and carry it like that. And so those are the three carries that we typically do. Every now and then one of them gets brave and it's like, I want to go heavier on the farmers. And I'm like, all right, let's go heavier on the farmers carries if, if, um, if you want to. I have a hard and fast rule that if you want to do something heavier, you're not going to try it and not do it. You know, like uh-huh. if unless it's like insane, like I had a kid make a joke, like I want to carry the 70 pound kettlebell. And I was like, you're not going to carry this <laughs> kettlebell. <laughs> um, but he was like, can I do the 25? He's 10. He's average size. And I was like, yeah, you can. I said, but if you, if it's too heavy, you're not going to not do it. So if you get it off the rack, you're going to do the entire workout with that one. And he's like, okay. And I think stuff like that is really good for them to learn. Like, even though it's hard, I'm still, I'm still going to do it. At the end of every class, I bring them all in. We do some breath work stuff and I make them tell me one thing that they did that was strong for the day. And it could be anything. It could be, well, like the, the sandbag carry was easy for me today. Or during the game, I was, I was the fastest runner. Um, Cause sometimes we play tag. And like, I was the fastest, I didn't get it. I that strong. And then I make them tell me, tell me one thing that you struggled with today. Um, and I really have them look and it can be, I, man, I really struggled getting that sandbag on my shoulder. I really struggled following directions. I really struggled being supportive of my, of my team, of my friends. And I make them tell me that. And um, after they all tell me what they struggled with, I say, is it, is it good or is it bad that we struggled? And uh, now they, of course, they know what the answer is. But before they were like, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And I say, no, it's, it's good that we struggled because the struggle makes us stronger. Pushing the Prowler was really, really hard, but now I'm doing it pushing Gabriel. So now I have 132% increase in, in strength because I weigh 132 pounds. It was hard and I struggled and I struggled and now I'm not. Now I can do way more. My hope is they extrapolate that into their life. I'm struggling reading this book or I'm struggling in school. But in the end, I will be stronger for it. And that's an important lesson, right? That we really have to teach kids. And like I had my guys, um, my guys recently took some basketball lessons. Uh-huh. And then the season sort of ended. So we'll get back mm-hmm. to it when that starts up again. And I started it with, you're not taking this lesson to learn how to put a basketball through a hoop. Like that's sure. not why I want you to do this. I, I want you to get the dribbling skills down. But aside <laughs> from that, my main goal here, our main goal, really, because it's not just me, is that I want you to learn how to fall down and get back up again. I want you to learn how to handle it when you've got a really competitive kid in your face and it's overwhelming because my guys are not that competitive. Um, and, and one of them is very competitive and shuts down if someone is too competitive at him because it overwhelms him. 
and the other one is just not that competitive a kid and is like, why is that person so aggressive with me? So wanting to teach them how to navigate that. And they both stepped up to the challenge and, and it was a really valuable experience and I'm looking that's forward awesome. to sending them back into it uh, in the fall. But that's a lesson that we often don't make overt with our kids and we really have to. We have to say like the reason we're playing football is not to learn football. It's mm-hmm. to learn how to do something that's hard mm-hmm. or, or in your case, the strength and conditioning work. It's not really about the strength and conditioning work. Some mm-hmm. of it is, but a lot of it is learning how to do stuff that's hard and learning how to navigate that struggle. One of the reasons I, I love strength and conditioning and, I, and I'm a power lifter myself, so it's not a team sport. I'm lifting on my own. Um, a lot of the parents that have come to talk to me about this class are saying he needs another outlet because he doesn't like um, sports. He doesn't do well with a bunch of other kids. So would this be appropriate? And I'm like, yeah, because the only person he's competing with is himself and they need to learn those lessons and they can learn them carrying a sandbag all by themselves. And those are really valuable lessons because, you know, I'm always thinking about the long game, the long, like what's, yes, school is important. Yes, it's important to get good grades, but what is your life going to look like? What is your career going to look like? Because you're only in school for, you know, 18 years, maybe. Um, If you don't go to college, like, and then after that, you have another, I don't know, 80, 82 years, probably longer now with how long everyone's living now and how they will when we're that old. Right. Like you're, you're, you have so much of your life that school is in the grand scheme of things. It's, it's really not that important. It's about the skill acquisition. I often say to my, to my clients that it's not about seventh grade. Mm-mm. It's not about senior year. It's about raising a healthy, well-adjusted 26 year old. And even after that, if you're not a healthy, well-adjusted 26 year old and you don't figure it out to your 40, who cares yeah. when you're 40, even if retirement age stays at, tw- at 65, uh-huh. you're still not even halfway through your career at 40. So who cares if you're still resetting and refiguring and all that stuff? You're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And that's, that's one of the main things that I try to drive home to all my parents of my ADHDers is I know it's hard right now and I know he hates homework, but we need to be instilling these things in him now. That way he knows look, I, I, this, this sucks. I don't like this and I'm not good at it, but I am good at these other things. And that's what's really going to matter at the end of, at the end of everything. And giving the parents some perspective is often comforting in the moment. You know, they come back the week later and they're like, he's still doing homework. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and then there's the sticking with homework for a minute. I often think about the lesson that I'm delivering or that my parents that I'm working with are delivering mm-hmm. around homework. If homework is a battle and it's just a struggle all the time, the lesson that you're really delivering for the kid, that what's getting internalized for them is I hate this. I hate school. I hate that I have to do this. It's stupid. It feels like an invasion, almost like school invading the house. Yeah. And that's not a plan because that's going to make it harder moving forward. So if you can alleviate some of that pressure here and there, even if it's something as simple as like, I'll write the last paragraph for you. Mm-hmm. Like you just wrote three paragraphs. I'll write the last one. It's not the end of the world. I'll just write mom scribed. If you can alleviate some of that pressure so that they don't hate homework as much, then in the long term, they're going to be able to navigate the struggle more readily because they're going to feel a little bit safer around it. And that's, that's yeah. what you're doing, right? Like you're saying to the kids, 
look, if you pick the 25 pound weight, I want you to know in advance that you're going to have to carry that the whole time and you're going to sure. do all the exercises with it. The kid knows what the exercises are. The kid kind of knows what that 25 pound weight is going to be like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're making that choice. And you're, you're creating the release valve in advance as opposed to at the end, like, like the example I just gave. But there's still a release valve. And you're also clearly, you have a relationship with these kids that lets mm -hmm. them know that they are safe with you. And if that kid is moving that 25 pound weight and all of a sudden his shoulder hurts, he's going to be able to tell you that. And you're going to be like, nope, no more 25 pound weight. In fact, go take a break or go, here's some ice or whatever is appropriate in the moment. And that really matters. Creating that safe space and also creating a safe space where they can fail. And it's okay because yeah. one of the things that I, and we could get off on a tangent and I, and I don't want to, because I want to stick, stick with this topic, but one of the things that I, that I like to tell my older clients is um, I hope you fail. I hope you fail every day. You need to fail every day. If you're not failing every day, then you're not trying hard enough. And, um, you know, in, in terms of building the two businesses that I have, the gym and the practice, um, and I, I also have a, a podcast, people ask me, like, what's your biggest failure? I don't know. I don't remember because it happened. And then I was like, that doesn't work. And I got to go find what does work mm -hmm. because I know that that doesn't work. So I hope you fail so you can get it out of the way and you can move on to what will work. And, and, I'm, and I create that environment with my kids of 25 is really, really heavy. And it was a mistake to ask to do all of this work. And I won't <laughs> do it again until maybe a month. And I'll get the impulsive thought of, hey, can I do this again? Yeah, you can. And then it's like, oh, this is way easier. And then it's like, all right, I, I quote unquote failed before. And I struggled really, really, really hard. But now it's easy. And now what does that do for their, in school, there are very few opportunities to see immediate progress. It's I did the right. test and hopefully I'll get the, the, the results back or my mom will see it on the internet and say, hey, you failed your spelling test and I don't even remember what the spelling test was. Yeah. I don't even remember one word on it. Um, I couldn't, and you asked me why um, I failed it? No idea. I don't even remember taking the test. This is something that comes up in the workshops that I do a lot because I do professional developments for schools because um, that's my background is through education. One of the biggest challenges with schools is the timetable that schools exist on. Mm -hmm. Time in school is in short supply. They're trying to get a whole lot done in not enough time. And what that means is there's not a lot of space for bouncing back from failure. There's plenty of room for failure. You can have that happen whenever. But if I fail a test, now that that test has happened, we've moved on to the next unit. Yeah. And if I want to fix that grade or learn that material that I didn't learn, in order for me to do that, the only steps I have feel like a punishment mm -hmm. because I can stay after school with my teacher. I can come in early with my teacher. I can stay in from recess or something with my teacher. But what all that amounts to is me losing some of my own choice and my own freedom, mm -hmm. and my own time in order to fix this thing that I failed at that I may or may not be motivated to really fix. I might not want to have an F and I'd rather have a C or a B. Mm -hmm. But I'm not necessarily motivated to learn more about the War of 1812. And so it's, it's great to hear that in your work, you're building in encouragement around failure and support for failure and a new lens to look at that because it's, it's just a hard perspective to get if you're only trying to learn it in school. Yeah, and I think um, we can save this for another day, but it, it, I really, really think that, that some of the best career opportunities for our ADHDers are entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. uh, I struggled through all of school 
until I got to graduate school and it was cake because I yep. really enjoyed it. And um, I'm with you. the entrepreneurial lifestyle is um, really conducive to the ADHD. I mentioned before we hit record, I have an ebook that I will share with your listeners. I just gave a seminar and then I asked someone to transcribe it. And then I asked someone to make it an ebook. And all I did was talk. Mm-hmm. And to me, if you were going, going by a school model, A, I cheated because I had someone else transcribe it for me. So that's cheating. <laughs> B, I, I cheated because I asked someone to make it an ebook. Mm-hmm. And C, I cheated because I asked someone to distribute it on my website and do all the, the behind the scenes website stuff for that. Right. I cheated three times to make a very, very valuable resource for everyone for free. Um, so I'm a cheater three times in a row for this one <laughs> ebook. When I broached that with my parents also, and they are like, I did have a, a client um, one time, she cheated on, on something. And I was like, look, I know it's bad. I know it's bad that she cheated. But do you do your own taxes? And she just kind of like stared at me. I was like, you don't do your own taxes. <laughs> you have someone else. You take all of your work, you take it to someone and they do it. And I said, and I've had conversations with your child and she has amazing ideas and her creativity shouldn't be limited by whether or not she wants to come up with three facts about three different states. Right. She has this other idea that she kind of mentioned that is a really awesome idea, but she doesn't have the means to execute it. Like, man, there's a future entrepreneur right there that is getting a message that she's bad and dumb because she, she cheated on, on, uh, on an assignment when she has other things that she's amazing at. And it, like in your case, did you really cheat or did you just outsource? Well, that's what cheating is. It's outsourcing. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to argue that a little bit. As a, <laughs> okay. Because the content that you shared, right, in your, in your workshop is stuff that you sort of gathered and processed and put your own lens on and then you presented, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that you had someone else write that down, mm-hmm. the content was still content that you created. Mm-hmm. They just sort of recorded it differently for you. Mm-hmm. So a kid who is taking somebody else's content because mm-hmm. that other kid memorized the state capitals or whatever, <laughs> I'm willing to call that cheating. <laughs> but, but having someone else sort of record it differently, having someone scribe for them and they can say out loud, oh yeah, the, the capital of Ohio is Columbus or whatever. That's not cheating. That's outsourcing. That's having right. a teaching assistant scribe for you and that's fair. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll grant you that. <laughs> um, so let's get back to exercising. Yes. Because that's sort of the theory here. We've got the, the heart rate that we want to get up there. Everyone mm-hmm. listening remembers those numbers. They remember those math, that math, because they don't have ADHD minus your apparently. Age. <laughs> yeah, 220 minus your age. They don't really remember. But I'm wondering, by me, we don't have, we don't have a Gabriel Villar. Villarreal. Nobody does. <laughs> yeah, we don't have one of you near me. So- this is something I might have to do with my kids at home and I should exercise better. So it's something that I need to do for me at home. Do you have any advice on how to do that? Like, how do we, how do we bring exercise into the house? One, how do we make it something that we actually do? How do Mm -hmm. we make, help ourselves remember to do it? Mm -hmm. What kinds of things should we be doing? How do we systematize it? Those kinds of questions. How do we bring it into the house? Those are really good questions. And I will say something that kind of will probably, um, I'll say two things. We need to get rid of this, this stigma. You know, when I, when I tell people that I'm a strength and conditioning coach and they exercise six days a week, the response more often than not is, well, I could never do that because that's work. 
and because that's hard. And it's almost the response that I get, I, I kind of parallel it to the medicine that, that probably you and I took when we were growing up, when we were sick, that just tasted like awful, like it just tasted disgusting. <laughs> and, and, um, and us as kids, like almost being moved to tears of like, I know I'm sick and I really, <laughs> really don't want to take this disgusting stuff. And it's almost worth being sick. So I don't have to taste this disgusting liquid. And I liken that response to me telling people, you have to exercise to be healthy, or this is what I do. And it's like, it's like me telling someone, yeah, I drink that cough syrup every day. <laughs> and I, and that's just what I do. So we need to remove this exercise is bad and exercise is work and it's a chore um, because we don't want our kids to have this message because it would be the same message as telling our kids, here's your ADHD medication, but it's kind of bad that you take it because why you should just be able to do this on your own. And so now we're getting a, a signal or a message of this is bad and I shouldn't have to do this or I shouldn't want to do this. Mm-hmm. That is not at all the message that we want. The message needs to be, we need to do this now more than ever. If we have the stigma of that's work and that's hard, then it's not going to be something that we want to do at all. Two weeks ago was a very nice day here in Roanoke, Virginia, and it was spring break and I was driving down the street and I almost hit a car because I was watching this young boy climb a tree. And I haven't seen someone climb a tree since probably I climbed a tree when I'm 30. I took my kid to climb a tree, both of them, but only one of them really wanted to do it. And I remember feeling you like, like, you like teach them. How to yeah, do it. not only did I had to have to teach them, but as the dad, I felt a little nervous and I didn't feel nervous <sighs> for my kid. I felt <sighs> nervous that like someone was going to walk by and see my kid up a tree and get upset <laughs> about it for some reason. Right. Maybe. And I was like that. Why am I worried about that? And he climbed the tree. He did really well. He got high enough that he freaked out about coming back down and had to jump and mm-hmm. I caught him. But yeah. great. Yes. I think that alone from just a societal standpoint sets the tone that our kids need to be doing these things. If I almost wreck because I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this anomaly. Look at this unicorn that I found. This kid climbing a tree. Uh, that's a problem. Yeah. And, and another huge red flag for me societally was when I started the ADHD strengths and conditioning class, I, um, the first day we toured the entire facility because it's a big facility that I, I rent space from because my facility is way too small and uh, there's climbing ropes. And they were like, can I climb the rope? And I was like, of course you can climb the rope. You're eight. I was in gym class. We climbed the rope at eight years old and went up and down and up and down. None of them could climb the rope. Wow. And some of them were very small, probably, you know, like, I don't know, like three feet tall. I don't know. I don't know how tall (laughs) kids are, but none of them weighed over 60, 80 pounds. Like they were all light kids, skinny, light kids. And none of them could do it. I mean, legless either. Like let's remove the fact that doing it with our legs is complicated, but none of them could even do it without their legs, which is how I learned how to do it because I couldn't get the feet thing down and I still can't do the feet thing down. So I just do them legless, <laughs> but none of them can do it. That's a huge red flag. So to answer your question, let's not even talk about exercise. Let's just talk about play. Are, are you playing with your kids? Are you, are you encouraging them to go outside and, and, and play and, and do things? It's not a popular thing to say anymore, but my, parents routinely kicked us out of the house and said don't come back don't come inside unless you need something unless you're bleeding don't come back 
Right. And we went outside and we did stupid things and we covered each other in ants and got in trouble. And, but we were out and we were active and we were, we were running around. And we also lived in Texas, like near the border in the middle of summer, I'm talking. <laughs> so it's hundred degrees and we're outside all day. Yeah. And so, um, and it was in our backyard. It's not like we were running around. Those stories sound uh, terrible. But then I listened to my dad's stories where he was like, it was that to the nth degree. It was, you know, grandma told me to leave the house during the summer at you know 7 a.m and i better be home for dinner so if i didn't get up in time t- that she wanted me to leave to eat breakfast then i didn't eat till dinner <laughs> and then listen to his stories of like these times that he almost died and yeah. <laughs> like nobody knew about him or where he was um this was not that this was we're in our backyard for five hours right so i think to answer your question is, is we need to just play we need to start there especially unless your kid is uh, a teenager and is and wants to be better at a sport mm-hmm. he needs to just play and that's all we're doing in my adhd classes we're just playing yes they do the gpp work and the carries all that takes 15 minutes and the rest of the 45 minutes we're playing games we're playing tic-tac-toe where they have to pick up a heavy weight and that's the x's and that's the o's nice. um and we're playing tag which here's another red flag i don't think they know what tag is I tell them that we're going to play zombies and they all know what a zombie is. So I eat your brains and now you're a zombie with me. <laughs> I don't think you know what tag is. <laughs> I have a tag game for you that I used to do with, uh, I was a gym teacher for a little while. Uh, uh-huh. I, I was a substitute gym teacher. We played a game that I made better. At first it was called spot tag. So it was like, you put a bunch of different colored spots on the ground. As the gym teacher, I would yell like the red spots are safe. And then the kids could go to the red spots to avoid getting tagged. And then the blue spots are safe and now it's, you have to change. So what I started doing was I added in exercises and I would say like pushups are safe. And then the kids could drop down and do five pushups to avoid getting tagged. And then they're back in the game again or sit-ups are safe. Or what whatever. That is, what? Kids can't do pushups. <laughs> oh, these kids could, <laughs> my kids can. And I didn't, they didn't have to have perfect form, but. <laughs> good, good. Um, so we can we can talk about how I scaled push-ups if you want. So, that, so now they are learning how to do it. Um, but that was another red flag is none of them can do a push-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so so yeah, so we we're just playing. And sometimes we play virus, which is just it's just another version of tag where it's like you're it and now I'm not it. And um, some of the other games we play, we do a a prowler battle. So we have the the, the prowler that I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. And I just put two poles in it, so two handles on either side in it, and they just push against each other until they one of them crosses the line, and then it's like a, an inverse tug of war. That's cool. And then we do a normal tug of war. One of the best things about this class is a lot of my kids come up with names for these games, and my favorite one is called um, Unexpected Races. And so what Unexpected Races is, it's a great name, is I have them in a different position, and then I say go, and they race to me. So a lot of these things look like lying on your bellies with your hands, uh, you spread eagle on your belly, and then I yell go, and they have to get up and run to me. And the first one that gets me, gets to me wins. And then it may be, okay, lie on your back, put your head facing me. Okay, lie on your back, put your head facing away from me. So now you have to get up and turn around. And I make them wait. As I say, okay, close your eyes and you're gonna wait. And so I wait for them to drift. I wait for their minds to wander. And then I say, go. And then they, you can tell which ones are like, I wonder what uh, what's for dinner. <laughs> I wonder what I'm gonna have to do after this. Oh, I just heard go crap because this other kid was paying attention, and now I gotta catch up to him. So we do things like that, but it's all play. 
that's not work. That's that's play. And then you know, as an adult, we can have that conversation of of, of what uh, what our parents could be doing um, in addition to play. And I there's I probably need to dive into the world of play a lot more because we as adults don't play anymore. Doctor Kirsten Milliken. She wrote a book called Play DHD. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she is episode um, nine on my podcast. Yes, I would love to be connected. But um, in keeping with adults, we don't play. I don't play. It's not like my wife and I play. I play board games. Not the same thing. My boys and I wrestle on the bed. So that's play. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that is play. Yes. My wife and I, sometimes we play video games together. Sometimes we play Portal 2 for like three levels, but I played with my brothers all the time, video games outside. Mm-hmm. I recently picked up um, from, from Kickstarter. It's a tag game. A tradition that we have in my family is we do uh, movies in the backyard because I speak professionally. Cool. So I have an LCD projector and a screen and a cool. speaker and all that stuff. So we watch movies in our backyard in the summer and which means we have friends over till it's dark. And so I got this, they're like these glow in the dark batons that you can hit each other with. So it's like a glow in the dark tag game that is intended for the kids to play. But I, I'm the dad who's running around and playing with the kids. That's awesome. And, and what I will say is as a, as adults, I did not recognize the need for play until here recently. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the beginning of the year, I had some back and hip issues from a powerlifting meet that I did in December. So moving was hard. (laughs) Moving explosively, moving fast, cutting and, and running was painful for me. And it's only been in the last month that I've actually been able to move freely without limitations with, my, with the classes. And here in the last couple of weeks, and it's been nicer. We've gone out to the parking lot and played zombies um, and played zo- virus. And I'm able to move without restriction. And I'm like, I'm having so much fun running and doing things that I haven't done since probably college when I played soccer and we're sprinting, we're running, we're cutting. There's a lot to be said for us adults to be engaging in that kind of stuff. Um, not even from an ADHD perspective, but just for our, our own well-being, it's just having fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely with you. And um, what I want to point out about that is that's a reason by itself. If you're listening to this and your health is not that great, if you're a little overweight, you're a little drained, you're a little tired, your legs are tight, that kind of stuff. Figure out ways to get past that. Stand more, improve your diet a little bit, and then a little bit, and then a little bit. Incremental changes. You know, six months a year from now, you'll have a lot more energy. You'll be able to play with those kids. You'll be able to play with your friends. If you're an adult that has a group of people who will do that with you, it makes a world of difference. And I, I'm in, a, I'm in a similar boat. I had surgery not that long ago, and it's mm-hmm. remarkable how much I lost from that. I'm still working on getting my energy back to where it used to be. Um, and I'm sure the listeners are like, why does Vernon sound weird? It's because I have a cold right now too. So my energy <laughs> is a train wreck at the moment. But having that energy to play with your kids, it's only there if you've got the health behind it. And you only get that health by moving a little more and eating a little better and, and gradually improving things. Because it's hard to just jump in whole hog and make it a big change right away. Yeah, it's, you know, and I have a lot of adults that come to my gym and, and those are their reasons are, we live in it. The community that we live in is very outdoor community. And uh, I had a group of, of guys come to me last summer and we're like, we went for a hike and we didn't finish. We could not finish. 
I wanted to go biking with my son. Couldn't do it. Wow. We, we went like a mile on a bike. Couldn't do it. And that's not okay. And I'm like, well, welcome to your future. You know, now they're all like planning big hikes, planning races, riding, you know, 30, 40 miles a week. And it's all because really and truly they invested in themselves. Mm -hmm. And these are guys that have kids that are out of college. So I don't have kids. But when people used to ask me, and now I'm training for powerlifting needs, but when people used to ask me why I work out seven days a week, it was because I don't want to be useless. I don't want to be useless if there's an emergency, if someone needs me, if someone because I'm I'm five five, I weigh 130 pounds. Me moving heavy things and, and big things, all of which are going to be bigger than I am. <laughs> I don't want to be useless. And then extrapolating that, when I do have kids, I, I don't want to be that guy, you know, who just can't do anything. And that was always my motivation. Now I have different motivations because those goals are achieved, but it's, that needs to be reason enough or that, that could be reason enough for the adults to start the process of getting healthier. Just being mindful of time relative to what we've been talking about with exercise and movement and, and how it ties into ADHD, because we, we haven't gone deep on the brain stuff. So do you have oh, any no, in that line? Well, how in the benefit that it has for the brain to exercise. So as an ending essential, do you want to share with us sort of that, that connection? Yes. Yeah. Let me write two things down um, before I forget. And thank you for modeling that you're going to write that down. Cause you'll know you forget it. That's, that's, yeah. that's solid ADHD practice right there. Um, I only, I only remember, there's one time I had three things and I actually did remember them on a different podcast and we all celebrated, but no, I have a pad, so I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> in terms of, of brain and, and neurology, I'll give you the long, the, the very watered down um, layman's terms of it. So when we exercise and going back to that threshold limit, when we hit that threshold, there's, there's three, there's a, a bunch of neurochemicals that are produced, but the two that I want to focus on for our ADHDers are dopamine and norepinephrine. And dopamine is produced when we hit that threshold, and so is norepinephrine. And those are largely the two neurochemicals that are targeted uh, when we take our ADHD medication, our stimulants. Okay, so what dopamine does is it is responsible not just for that uh, reward function that we like to think of it as, as um, it is responsible for motivation and drive. Which, if you have an ADHD or you know, sometimes they're quote unquote lazy. It's not an issue of laziness. It's an issue of they don't have, they're not producing it as much dopamine as their peers or as a neurotypical person is. Right. So when we hit this threshold of, of exercise or this heart rate threshold, dopamine is produced, which means we're going to be more motivated, we're going to be more driven, and we're going to have more stick to Okay. Norepinephrine's role in our brain is to help regulate our emotions and our reactions to things. So if we have an ADHD that is very passionate um, and gets really angry all of a sudden for no reason, that's because their norepinephrine is not being produced as readily as a neurotypical person is. So after exercise, we have a new level of these chemicals swirling around in our brain, which allows us to be a little more even keeled in these areas that we're typically not. So a good thing to remember is, and I, I kind of give a plus or minus, we have about 30 to 90 minutes of these neurochemicals in our brain after exercise. So you have a 30 to 90 minute window where you are essentially quote unquote on your medication. And so we want to be very mindful of that 30 to 90 minute window. And I usually tell my kids that are in my classes is we just exercised, go home and crush your homework and get it done. Don't go eat dinner. 
I tell the parents too, don't eat dinner, don't, need a, don't get a snack, go home and use this momentum to get your work done because you're gonna be more driven, more focused, and more tentative. One of the things that's really important to know is that the chronic exerciser more readily produces these two neurochemicals as time goes on. If you don't understand how big that is, that is um, the single greatest reason probably to exercise if you're an ADHDer, is that especially if you have a young ADHDer, is theoretically, we could start a kid at eight exercising, and if he's consistent with his exercise two to three times a week, and if he wants to play a sport, up that, um, or if he needs it every day, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Over time, his ability to produce these neurochemicals that he's naturally deficient in rises up, and theoretically, he will not need medication. Theoretically, he will be more even keeled across all levels, virtually kind of masking any kind of his of those typical ADHD behaviors. Of course, there have not been any longitudinal studies on this. Of course, this is all theoretical, um, but all of it kind of begs that question of, if I have a kid that's young, he works out and he exercises every day, in 10 years when he's out of school, will he have quote unquote ADHD anymore? And everything that we know about the science tells us maybe not. Not that he gets rid of his ADHD, but the signs and symptoms and his ability to cope with those ADHD symptoms will be significantly will be improved. Yeah. That, and yeah. that's awesome. That's huge. Uh, yes, it is. It's yeah. To me, when I, when I learned that and I kind of took it in, I was like, this is, this is huge. This is everything. All right. So you got me. I'm, I'm, I'm hopping on the treadmill as soon as I hang up with you. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.